One of the services we provide our clients is something that we call a thoughtful conversation. Thoughtful conversations are limited to clients. And what we do, which is different from connecting dots, is provide actionable information and knowledge to those of you who are simply busy. I mean, you know you're busy. I'm busy. You have your families. You have work, commuting. For crying out loud, if you live in North Tampa, for example, or anywhere in the Orlando area, it's not unusual to have a 30, 40, even hour-long drive to get back and forth to work. Thank goodness for podcasts, huh? It is absolutely true that those who listen to intelligent things while going back and forth to work when you have that opportunity, yes, you can relax and you can decompress, but it's a great way to get some good information in. And in fact, driving to music might actually cause you to get ramped up and to kind of get a, kind of fired up. Well, it is Friday, and what do you say we get started with? today's episode. It's Friday, and it's time for Current with Connecting Dots. Flight attendants, please prepare for takeoff. Connecting Dots is sponsored by Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing. Break the mold and embrace the difference. Okay, let's get started by breaking the mold and talking a little bit about the fact that no matter who you are, whether you're a chief executive officer or you're doing a very basic blue collar work, you don't have time. Maximizing your time is important, but who's got time to do all the stupid things that need to be done? You know, one of the items I know for a fact is that a lot of people are no longer comfortable with their own skill sets. I mean, you're comfortable in your skin, but the skill sets that you have require so much complexity out there. Just take, for example, all the new software things that have come out from Apple this week. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. And then in the financial service industry, one of the reasons why we have these thoughtful conversations is that a lot of people are simply not comfortable with the conflicted investment advisor, agent, banker, broker, dealer, and financial planner who provides confusing and complex and contradictory information. So being pointed in the right direction and helping to get clarification is really what it's all about. And what we've done is created a comprehensive program for those who are retainers, users, delegators, abdicators, and ignorers. And when it comes to things like financial planning, like we always say, you can do it yourself. But what we provide is that individual attention to the things that you only really need individual attention for. You don't need, for example, these life coaches, these financial literacy people. You don't need someone to help you create a net worth statement or a balance sheet. If you can't do that, you have far more problems than we can help you with. We're an investment advisory firm. And that's not a negative. That simply means if you haven't done a net worth statement, if you haven't looked at your income and looked at your expenses, and you're just flying by the seat of your pants, you're destined to failure. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Okay, with that, we're going to talk about personal air conditioners. I know that sounds kind of silly, but yeah, it's a real thing. So I was on Facebook and I really don't get on there very often. I have a lot of people from years ago that I know, but one of the things that you may not know is I participated in a study where we took the expertise we have here at our firm and we analyzed Facebook and how they do their algorithms. And we discovered that with a lot of effort of other people, 
There is absolutely no doubt that they are throttling down different people and, again, putting you in silos and keeping you away from different things. And quite some time ago, we said, we're done with this nonsense, literally completely done with Facebook. So they've got these ads on there. And I got this link to a thing called an evaporator and an Eva Smart 2. These were Indigo Go Go smash hits. In fact, there was an article. It wasn't really an article. It was an advertorial in Entrepreneur Magazine. And I want you to know that just because the magazine says money, smart money, or entrepreneur doesn't mean that these are not conflicted organizations. Remember, all these people take advertising dollars. When you take advertising dollars, you're going to be conflicted. Just like if you take assets under management, you're conflicted. And so I took a look at this thing, and then I went to YouTube and looked at a couple of videos, and I have some links down below that I encourage you to take a look at. All these things are. It's just the most funniest thing in the world. It's something that I did many, many years ago. So let's roll back. It's about 1975. I'm going to college. And I, I had my, my first vehicle was a 1969 Ford Fairlane station wagon. And it needed body work. So I took a saw and I cut out the old rusted material and got a welder and welded in my uh, new plates. And I got some old-fashioned Bondo. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's like a paste. It dries harder than a rock. Smoothed it all out, sanded it, and uh, redid the upholstery inside myself. Redid the carpets, rebuilt the uh, transmission and the alternator and the starter. And I think I paid $59 or $79 for the car. Went took it to Earl Scheib and had a had it painted yellow again. It was yellow to start off with. So the door jams and under the hood and the uh, tailgate that lifted up all kind of matched. But I made sure that the yellow was a little brighter. And then I took striping and put stripes on it and put a fake uh, air dam on the on the hood. And I, I had basically, <laughs> they called it the bumblebee. It's a station wagon, you know, you know, you're when you're a kid and station wagon comes in handy. We didn't do vans. The station wagon got, you know, did things that needed to do. Of course, I made money on it because I'd pick everybody up going to high school years ago and going to college as well. Going to high school, I'd charge, uh, I don't know, 50 cents to go one way, 50 cents back. So I made a buck a day and, you know, gas prices were like 29, 39 cents back in the day. Lowest price I ever paid for gas was 19.9. 19.9 cents. Unbelievable, huh? I guess with inflation, we're probably still paying about that much. If it wasn't for taxes, we wouldn't pay a whole lot for gas. So I had like, let's see what I do. I'd have my uh, girlfriend sitting next to me, and then I had somebody in the passenger seat, had three people in the back, and somebody usually was riding in the R back there. I guess what I make, uh, one, two, of course, my girlfriend didn't pay, so I made what, four, five, about five bucks a day, eh, 20 bucks a week, going back and forth to school. That's big money back in the mid-70s, you know, making yourself about 80 bucks a week. Definitely paid for gas, but I had the bumblebee and told the bus, sold the bumblebee. I think I sold it for about, oh, I think it was $299. Took that money with other money that I had invested and saved by that time and paid cash. $3,219 for a Datsun B210. Paid cash. My first car. I paid brand new. Went to college. Brand new car. But no radio, <laughs> crank windows, no power windows, of course, no air conditioning. So I worked rebuilding starters and alternators is one of the jobs I had. And one of the things I did is I took a round cylinder. And when it was hotter than all, Billy Hell, because I went to college both semesters and summer school and night school. And, and that's how I got through in two years. Well, I overloaded like crazy. I wanted to get in and out. 
But when it got hot, I had a cylinder that I would hook onto the side of my window, roll it up. Have you ever been to a drive-in? Think of a drive-in tray sitting on the side of your window. Okay, so instead of a tray, I got a cylinder. And air would come in the front of the thing, had some little slats there. Then I had some adjustable vent would come out the side. And so I had air conditioning. Wind would blow in and go across ice. I had a little lever and I had the uh, door that we just lift open and put ice in there. And so I had... (laughs) I had my own air conditioner. When I didn't have ice, I just put water in there and basically had an evaporator. Hey, well, a humidifier would it be? So I'm looking at this thing, okay, and entrepreneur saying, oh, this is the greatest thing since white sliced bread. Entrepreneur, this is great. You have your own little air conditioner at your desk. Indiegogo, smash hit, the Eva Smart 2. And then, of course, there's a young fellow does a video on YouTube, which I post on, on the notes, and he calls it the way it is. Hey, if you're in a high humidity area, this thing doesn't work because that's all this thing is. It's a humidifier. You're just getting moist air out. If you're in a dry climate, yeah, you're going to be a little cooler. And he's rips the thing apart and they just basically have all this fancy oh you got lights oh it's so pretty and everything else and it has a fan and it's a bunch of hogwash pure unadulterated hogwash and on the average on the home for the most part the overwhelming majority of things that these financial advisors are selling you is pure hogwash as well so when you get these things even on facebook and they're saying they want to clamp down on fake news how about clamping down on bullshit advertising that things don't even work that's just not right that's not right So when we do this episode of uh, Connecting Dots and we talk about current, what we're doing is we're talking on Friday about things that are in the news that are current events, but things that probably aren't really being covered by the news, right? I mean, it's just all the same stuff, blah, blah, blah. It's all emotional hogwash speaking. So what we'll do every Friday is we're going to talk about things that are current that you might say, hey, I didn't know anything about that stuff. So on Monday, we do questions. So if you have a question and you want to ask a question of me here, all you got to do is contact us. Easiest way to do that is call 888-629-7864. That's 888-629-7864. Throw a little radio voice in there. And uh, just leave your message. Opine. Tell us what you think. Do whatever you want to do. That's cool. That's just whatever you have. If we uh, can use it, that's great. But I'll, if you have questions, we're going to answer them. Tuesday is SWAT. S-W-A-T. We're not going to SWAT flies. What we're going to do is talk about sudden wealth awareness training. Now, that's something that I do. But what we do is give you little bits of information to help you in case you say, I don't want to do SWAT training with you. So you can do a little bit and be a little bit advanced on your own. Now, it's a discussion about sports, entertainment contracts, inheritance, litigation, settlements, lottery wins. You get a big rollout from a 401k, 403b, 457 plan, deferred compensation, any kind of a some distribution from a pension or life insurance settlements, you better be aware that you are suddenly going to be wealthy. At least you're going to have more money than you had before. And the odds are overwhelmingly you're going to blow it. In five years, most people that get a lump sum money are going to blow it. Sorry, but it's true. Wednesday is business and you are a lifestyle business where business is your lifestyle. And if that describes you and you want to think like that, you want to think like a business person, Wednesday's podcast is for you. Thursday is 3M. That's when you tune in and tune up with our minting millionaire, mature, and monumental mindsets for all ages, all incomes, all net worths, all education levels, all occupations, races, sex, and national origin. 
These episodes are not suitable, however, for buttercup and snowflakes. If you're the kind of person who gets so offended when someone says, hey, sweetheart, pull up your big boys and go to work. No one's going to hand give you any more handouts. We're sick of it. If that bothers you, don't go to a 3M podcast because it's going to offend you. Today is current. We're reviewing people, places, and things, events from the past week. We're doing a little bit of forecasting based on facts, figures, and logical bets. Tomorrow, you know what we're going to do? Deep dive. A deep dive means you need to buckle up and settle in for a deep dive into the world of connecting dots. We do forecasting for a living here. Deep dive conversations don't just tell you the story, but it's designed to make you think way beyond the traditional boundaries, and you don't want to hold back. If you feel like you're going to get unsettled, provocative, controversial, yeah, sometimes what we talk about is weird because nothing is held back. Here's the thing. There are patterns in chaos. You just need to know how to look at it. Hey, and then on Sunday, what do we do? Shows, movies, and videos. We talk about something and just kind of go at it. What we're going to do is we're going to talk this Sunday about the latest episode of Billions. We may go back and do all of the episodes. Billions is a really cool show with a lot of business principles, and everything that we talk about will always be based upon various business principles that we dig out of in, again, movies, television shows, and etc. Now, I've said for a long time that there are a lot of people that are living in homes and it's the great American dream. And the reason why people buy homes on the average, on the whole, and for the most part is because they can't save money. One of the things people do with homes, it's a forced savings. Part of that money goes to uh, pay the mortgage down. Most people don't pay cash for their home. And so you're building a little bit of a nest egg up and then you're, uh, you know, you're living there, you know. But the problem is the home is you put a lot of eggs in one basket. And if you live next to a neighbor who or, you know, who's a who's a maniac and you say, you know, I need to leave. I'm out of here. And not everybody can do what I do and say, I don't need it. I don't need the crap. You know, I'll just sue, take care of you, put you in the poorhouse. I will never stop until I get total satisfaction for your bad behavior. In the meantime, I'm not going to deal with it. Let my lawyer, I got plenty of lawyers on staff. Let them handle it. I don't deal that stuff. I'm out of there. But if I'm renting, you know what I do? Eh, new place, new condo, whatever, you move. The number of you who have had neighbors from holy hell is, is, you know that's the case. Down in the villages, they've got people. You go to the villages, you sink your money in, you get your golf cart, you're playing golf, you're just, you're living the good life, right? All 55 retirement communities are the same way. They all have issues. The guy gets so old, the wife is dead, the kids come to help him out, but the kids are, are drug addicts and they're selling meth happened in the villages oh you're so drunk you drive your your cart into one of the ponds and you drowned happens in the villages you drove so fast and drunk you went around the corner and your spouse or whoever you were with fell out of the thing hit their head and died happened in the villages you got some guy who like he really likes your wife who she's a sweetheart and then she doesn't want anything to do with you that's your gal so what does he do he stands out in the, out in the front yard and shoots like a gun i don't know how many times blows up your house boom 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 happened in the villages i mean come on things people are people you have a sinkhole. Oh, great. Sinkhole opened up. But your property wasn't affected because the hole didn't get onto your house. It just destroyed everything around you. You're not covered. You just have a piece of property nobody wants to buy because you got this sinkhole problem all around you. You see, when you have real estate, you need to diversify. You need to make sure that you are fine, that you can blow out of there in case things go sideways, especially when you're older. You don't need that kind of nonsense. Oh, my God. It's just a pain in the rear end. So you're living in New York now, right? 
Yeah. You're living in New York. You're an apartment owner in New York and you've been paying your money. You've been paying it down, right? Now you're going to have to start complying with some really tough energy regulations that courtesy of that idiot mayor in New York, they're going to make everybody comply with. New York City is like one of the first cities in the world to require all large existing buildings of 25,000 square feet or more. And there's like 50,000 of those buildings citywide. Okay, we're talking 50,000 buildings. They got to make some major efficiency in energy upgrades or face some really steep penalties. So they have these things called sustainability requirements, energy efficiency. You know, we got to really go crazy. Here's the thing. What does it cost in gas and energy? All the people who work and travel going back, it's like anything else. Let's junk all of our own old cars, get things that are more fuel efficient. Well, what about, what does it cost to build a new car, to transport that new car? To maintain, what about the cost of d destroying the old one? You know, when you look at the total cost of everything, I mean, you truly look at the total cost, not just, oh, well, now we're getting 15 miles a gallon rather than seven. Oh, okay, yeah. It's the same thing with the energy efficiency, okay? So the upfront costs, man, some of them are unreasonable. Now, nearly 98% of all apartment de uh, developers say that the codes over the last 10 years have increased development costs uh, pretty substantially, at least 7.2 to 10% right off the top. So the bottom line is always remember this. Sometimes everybody wants to do good things. Oh, yeah, we need it. We got to, oh, poor people. We got to make it nicer for them. Oh, we got to make it nicer and nicer. And when you keep making things nicer and nicer and nicer, you know, like everybody deserves three bedrooms, two baths on a quarter acre. They do, right? With central heat and air. Everybody should have green grass. So green that it just, it grows by itself, you know? You shouldn't have to water or fertilize. A city should do that for you. In fact, the city should cut the grass for you. You shouldn't have to pick up your trash. Somebody should come into your house and take your trash. You shouldn't even have to cook. You should be able to have meals on wheels at any age and not have to work. Work, oh, those are for people. Oh, that's for somebody else. And as far as healthcare, why should you do a sit-up or a push-up? Oh, you should have Medicare and Medicaid because the world owes you because you are special buttercup and snowflake. Yes, you are. So what happens is you start having all of these homes and this lifestyle for the rich and famous. And guess what? All the people out there, the millions, tens, and hundreds of millions of people can't afford to pay for that kind of a lifestyle. They don't have any place to live. There's a real discrepancy in this world, and it's getting to be ugly here in the United States. The overwhelming majority of the people are in the very tip top of the, of the pyramid. One-tenth of one percent. Boy, they're making a lot more money. Their net worths are going sky high. But everybody else, they're getting kind of tough. Now, a lot of us are doing just fine and dandy, but there's a big difference between having 10, 20 million dollars and having 10, 20 billion or having, well, in Basil's case, 100 billion dollars. You know, someday we're going to have somebody who's going to be a true trillionaire. That day is coming and those people are rare and you're going to see more and more discontent. Look at Los Angeles. Los Angeles has a, the number of people who are homeless, absolute true homelessness, people that are living in trees, okay? And people have, they've taken everything you can possibly imagine from pallets and wood and created hammocks and everything up in trees. Oh, but of course the city can't have that. Got to tear them all down. Get those people out of there. They have as many people that are homeless in the city of Los Angeles as all of the residents in the city of Ocala, Florida. 60,000 homeless people. 
Well, homeless people have to poop. They have to pee. They have to wash. They have to work. They have to eat. They have to go about normal daily activities of life. Where do you think all that stuff is? You know, years ago, I said, and well, this goes back 20 years ago now. And I said, my God, San Francisco is just not the place I used to remember. It has really become, well, I'll use the word, a shithole. Last couple of times I've been there, I actually have seen people drop drawer, drop trowel, and just take a dump right on the sidewalk in front of my my wife, my daughter, and just, you know, we're out, it's just ridiculous. That's what you want. So sometimes when you have standards that are so high and people can't meet them, you know who pays? The people you apparently don't care about. The lower income and middle class. And when things are so damn expensive, there is no middle class. Back in 1986, I had an opportunity to meet Tony Robbins. And uh, uh, he's a pretty cool guy. He's a little bit younger than me. And um, I didn't know it at the time. And I found it out recently. That, but the uh, fellow who was a billionaire who qu- created a company called um, uh, Squarespace. No, not Squarespace. Um, anyways, the uh, client relationship management company. I'll, it'll come to me in just a little bit. I just can't remember right now. Um, huh, what's the name of that again? Salesforce. Mark uh, Benoff. Couldn't believe I forgot about that. Well, here's the thing. Tony Robbins... I have said this for years. Um, he wrote a book recently and came out a year or so ago. It's called Money. Maybe it's two or three years now. And I actually bought a copy of it and I went through and dissected it. And I actually did a podcast, about seven or eight podcasts on that thing. And I probably will revive it. And here's the thing. When you write a book, which is nothing more than a promotion book for the company that you are now affiliated with, and you're calling it as if you know, you're this financial guru, you went from being positive mental attitude, rah, 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 to, you know, walk on the coals of fire and, you know, you're all man, all woman, you can do this. And and then you present yourself as if you're a fiduciary. And he had this whole thing about what a fiduciary is. What it, it, You're just promoting your company, your 401k company that you own 30% of. You don't have, you're not an investment advisor rep. You don't have any credentials in that area, but you own big chunks of these companies. A lot of people don't know this, but if you're, you know, I don't care who you are, you can be a truck driver and you got uh, 20, 30 million bucks, you want to open up a medical practice, you can do it. Yeah, you can. You can own a medical practice and be a truck driver. You just have to have doctors and nurses, but if you want to own a medical practice, and I know a guy that has a boatload of medical practices, but he's really good at business and these guys work for him. So Tony Robbins, I've watched uh, this guy just uh, for a long, long time and all these scandals, they started this Me Too thing with him. It resurfaced and he got the boot from this one company. Now, it's been pretty ruthless and he's been the celebrity figurehead for this company for a while. And if you look at the SEC, you'll find he does not have any any licenses, and that's the whole thing. But the key thing is the other big owner is this Mark Benoff, who with Salesforce, he's a founder of Salesforce, and um, it's called America's Best 401k. That's pretty ballsy to say that stuff. Now, Benoff, is uh, he met Tony when he was 28, so I figured out he and I must be about the same age. He was an aspiring entrepreneur and, you know, a big corporation and, boy, he just, he bought everything. And now Salesforce, you know, is now in San Francisco. That's the reason why I talked about Salesforce in San Francisco. And, you know, it's a $6.6 billion company. It's a, it's a behemoth. There's no doubt about it. But he attributes a lot of what he's done in life to the wisdom from uh, Tony Robbins and what he has said over the years. And, and that's fine. And then you have Robbins Research International, which is a life coaching empire. He's got all this, these books and audio tapes and 
life coaching certificates and everything else. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have said this for years. I am very, very concerned about these people who are financial advisors, these people who are agents and bankers and brokers, obfuscating what they do and having shiny objects to distract you from the fact that they charge big, fat fees. Assets under management is a slow bleed commission. You get A shares and B shares and C shares where you get haircuts. You got performance-based billing for hedge funds. The problem is so many of these people are distracting you from what they actually do. And when you really figure out how much time you're doing what you what you do, you know, it's, um, it's just is what it is. With Tony Robbins, the actual investment advisor he was with, one of the things they're complaining about is that, yeah, the people that follow him, they follow him, but they don't have enough money to be worthwhile. And he said, yeah, I mean, people pay freaking attention to him. But they just don't have the money. So if you are a big, huge Tony Robbins fan, okay, if you've read the book, his money book, feel free to give us a call at 212-433-2525. That's 212-433-2525. And I'll be happy to share some real deep insight with you. Connecting dots is for educational use only. Investment performance is not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation or needs. Nothing should be construed as an individual recommendation. Due to our extensive holdings and that of our clients, you should assume that we have a position in all companies discussed and thus a conflict of interest should be assumed. Well, there's a guy by the name of Jerome Powell. He's the head of the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve is a private bank. Always remember, never forget that. Your money is controlled by a private banking organization. A lot of people think that the U.S. Treasury is the same as the Federal Reserve. No, it's not. That's a weird setup there, no doubt about it. And if you can figure it out, you'll be one of the only ones in the uh, outside the Federal Reserve or Treasury that understands it. Oh. And that's not a big deal. It is what it is. Most countries are that way, you know, currency, yada, yada, yada. I go on for hours on that. It looks like the Federal Reserve is going to uh, do some quantitative easing again. What does that mean? Printing money, lowering interest rates because, you know, the economy might be slacking up a little bit. And you'll notice that the unemployment numbers are so low, but new hires are down. Here's the thing, folks. There's still plenty of people who are good, old-fashioned, honest-to-God, born-and-bred Americans that are not working to their fullest capacity. Some would like to, but they can't get a job paying a decent wage. And wage compression is tough because of all the technology. It's like all these folks getting MBAs. Good luck for that. You know, that was the ticket to millionaire status a few years ago. But here's the thing. Even Harvard, Yale, Cambridge, some schools that have had MBA programs for 30 and 40 years are closing them down. I'm going to do a, uh, a, a, we're going to do a deep dive on MBA programs. Bottom line is most people, when you go to college, I can tell you this is a fact for me. You don't learn jack. Oh, I had a few classes. I learned some things. It's making connections. It's learning how to deal with people. Yeah, if you're a doctor, that's different. Attorney is different. I can tell you yeah, that from experience. Counting, but after a while, you, you know, just so you know, no matter how you slice it, one and one is two and two and two is four. It's all that fancy accounting, pro forma accounting. Oh, well, we're going to classify this one way and that another way. And depending upon, well, it's time to count our numbers. Well, let's see. Our receivables are $10 billion, so we'll just move that over as uh, receivables. And, well, we look good on paper when we do our IPO, and we'll have a nice big fat, uh, yeah, sounds like Uber and Lyft and all these other things, right? Here's the thing. 
Don't ever expect the current administration to actually do anything when it comes to immigration. Nobody's going to do anything about immigration. They want people pouring across the borders because it's good for business to keep wages down. Always remember that. This country is controlled almost lock, stock, and barrel by big, giant corporations. And when the corporations get big, and you hear some rumblings of antitrust, that's just a way for the government to slap them down to get control. And it's all about control. Now, I say that. One of the things we're paying very careful attention to here is you not got to look at what's going on in China. Now, I'm going to give you a preview of another deep dive we're going to be talking about in the near future. When a country gets ready to go to war, they get ready to go to war. One of the things they do is they get ready financially. You should pay very careful attention to what China is talking about and how, for example, semiconductors, you know, all the chips. Well, big, big drop from China, but Taiwan, yeah, doing fantastic. China's not happy about that. So how would this country deal with a war with Iran and then an invasion of Taiwan? And of course, Kim would take the opportunity to invade the South. So North invades the South. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough people. And if things got really restless down in Venezuela and Mexico continues to go nuts, what are we going to do? We have some very difficult situations going on. Now, what is the one thing, no matter what, we're going to have to pay money for? Military procurement. And so as a result of that, guess what we do in this company? We happen to have an investment portfolio in military procurement. If you want more information, you just need to call 212-433-2525. Connecting Dots is brought to you by Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing. It's better because it's simple and works. Break the mold. Be different. So we're getting ourselves tightened up and squared around. And one of the things we're doing is looking at things like James Bullard, who is the president of the St. Louis Fed, and seeing what he has to say and his influence on Jerry Powell and kind of connecting some dots here. At the same time, we're talking about Social Security. You know, you need to understand Social Security was never intended for, yeah, never intended to be the sole source of retirement for Americans. It originally developed in the 1930s as a supplement to employer-sponsored plans and other personal savings. Now, more than 62 million Americans are going to receive this year about $1 trillion in Social Security benefits. Now, the gap between Social Security and income, well, it's getting to be kind of a really bad situation. For those of you who are 50 and younger, I sure hope you are saving some money. Now, right now, 66 is the full age for retirement for anybody born between 1960 and 1967. Okay, those who are born after that, it's a little bit older. But here's the thing. Let's just use 65 as the benchmark. Nah, let's forget that. Just use 1960. You're born in 1960. Let's see, how old would you be? If you're born in 1960, I guess you'd be, what, 59? And uh, you got to work until you're 66. Six, yeah, you got to work until 66. So you draw your money right away. Yeah, do you really want to do that? Because you do realize that every year that you delay, you keep delaying it, you're going to get an 8% increase in the amount of money you're going to get. You know, those who basically draw at age 62, you're going to get 76% of what you could draw at your full age. If you wait and you wait as long as you can, you're going to get about 130%. So if you think it through, which is better? Do you want to have basically 60% more in Social Security benefits? And then you sit down and you got to do this. You know, when do I draw? It's real simple. How healthy are you? If you think you're going to live a long time and you're, making, you're taking care of yourself physically, emotional, intellectual relationships, you know, you're doing fine. You might want to think about delaying. 
Now, if you draw you draw early, you work, for every dollar you make above $16,920, they're going to take a dollar. Oh, see, that's a really good deal. I'm going to go out and get a job for $10, but I'm only going to bring home five. Yeah, smart. Again, if you make more than $16,920, you get clobbered. Then at your full age, your benefits get reduced. Again, one for three. And this is if you retire before your full age. Okay, before your full age, one to two. At your full age, is one to three. Once you hit your maximum, okay, there's no limit. But even then, you know, between your, your retirement age, your full, and then the maximum is 44880 Oh, for crying out loud, you know. So you make yourself uh, $144,880. You lose, what, $33,000? I mean, that's craziness. I don't know why people don't vote. You just That's not even on the election. I mean, nobody even talking about all these, you know, from Bernie Sanders to everybody in the world. Nobody's talking about this. Eliminate the income. If you retire, eliminate the income stuff. You see, one of the things, if somebody's drawing Social Security, they want to draw it early, that's great. It means there's more money in the pot for you and I. But don't remove the remove the income. Let people earn whatever they want. This whole idea of wanting to get everybody out of the workforce, now that just takes place naturally. These artificial barriers suck. But the more somebody has and they become incapacitated and they have to go into a nursing home, they, they pay out of their own pocket. And with a few minor changes, you eliminate all these loopholes. You won't have people who are basically scamming the system. You know who wins? Normal everyday taxpayers. The bottom line is Social Security's got some real serious issues. I'm not going to get into all the details. The bottom line is, if you're concerned, you ought to give us a call because we know exactly how it works. I want to talk a little bit lastly about catastrophe bonds. C-A-T-A-S-T-R-O-P-H-E. Catastrophe bonds. What in the Sam hell is a catastrophe bond, right? Well, these are risk-linked securities. And what they do is they're designed to transfer a specific set of risks from an insurance company or sponsor to investors. Okay, They were first created back in the mid-1990s in the aftermath of Hurricane Andrew. They also had the earthquakes in Northridge in California. So they're known as cat bonds. Now, there's a very low probability that anyone listening to this podcast, this Connecting Dots podcast from Fixed Cost Financial, is going to ever buy an individual cat bond. But pay attention, because you probably own a bunch of them, and you just don't know it. Now, in the first quarter of this year, a record $4.3 billion, you heard that, $4.3 billion in new catastrophic or cat bonds were issued. 17 different transactions. Really interesting to read these things. You might think, you got to be kidding. Who reads that stuff? We read that stuff. <laughs> it, is, it is actually, it's not one of those, you know, goofy things or an interloper. It's actually becoming a disruptor. It's becoming something that is a fixture. Now, people don't understand that cat bonds by a different name have been around for a long, long time. Now, let me give you a little bit of history of these things. Catastrophic bonds, okay? Catastrophic bonds. You know, in fact, you know what I want you to do? I want you to think about that for just one second. Now, normally I try to keep these things at 20 or 30 minutes, but this is going a little bit longer. I don't care if you like it, keep it. If you don't, cut it off, do whatever you want to do. But after 1992 Hurricane Andrew, we had $17 billion in losses in Florida. And man, we got slaughtered in Florida. For those of you who weren't familiar with the fact, our insurance companies, we had a lot of insurers that were forced into bankruptcy and we had state reinsurance and the reinsurance just went out. 
So we all paid a boatload of money in insurance and taxes to fill the void. And then in 1996, a company called Aon, A-O-N Securities, they sat down and somebody scratched their head and said, I got an idea here. Let's do catastrophic bonds. Now, it isn't really rocket science. All they did is they sat down and said, you know, let's crunch the numbers. How much would you pay me if I took some of the risk off your your book in order so that uh, you didn't have to have so much money in capital reserves? Now, what does that mean? Book? capital reserves and everything else. So you have a dollar and you're an insurance company, right? And you say, you pay me a dollar and if anything happens to you, I'm going to pay you $5 for your property if you have damage. So I got a one to five spread. Statistically, not much is likely to happen in those first five years, right? Not likely to happen. In fact, the probability of this thing, whatever it is, let's say it's a fire, because that's the easiest way to work, the chance of your house burning down, very, very low. Let's just throw numbers out and say it's one in a thousand. Now, if you only issued one insurance policy, you got a hellacious amount of risk. If that house burns down, you lose money, but you don't have the money in reserve. Now, here's the way it works. It's called actuarial calculations, mathematical, just doing the numbers. And so what we do is we say, you know, really, we need to have about two or 3,000 policies out there. And the likelihood of all of these homes catching on fire is pretty low. And here's the statistical probability. And let's make sure none of these homes are next door to each other so we don't get a big loss and have like four or five wiped out. Let's also make sure that we have some big homes, little homes. We have lots of diversification in here. And then if we have some homes that are older, we'll charge a little bit more. You see how you work it. Okay, it's just math. All of this is math. Now, there's a lady by the name of Annie Duckworth who wrote a book called, uh, you know, Thinking in Terms of Bets. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. That's all this is. You're just betting. No, you're not betting. You're not gambling. You're not speculating. We're working the numbers statistically. It's like counting cards. That's all it is. We're counting cards. So if I say, tell you what we're going to do. You're insuring these homes against what? Flood? Yep. Storm? Yep. Wind? Yep. Hurricane? Yep. Fire? Yep. Hmm. Tell you what, what if you pay us this amount of money and we'll cover the losses above mm, 5 million to 50 million for wind damage and for earthquakes. So you then go back to your number crunchers and you figure it out. And then you can say to the state regulators, hey, listen, we're issuing these policies, but this amount of risk is now off the book and we cover the small claims. These people have the middle-sized claims. And then we've got another company called a reinsurer for the big monster claims. And we don't have to have as much money in reserve because our risk is less. And so the state insurance pulls, especially if they have lobbyists that are greasy in the wheels. Yeah, that sounds good. Go ahead. You don't have to have as much money set aside. So we have more money to invest. Okay, there you go. So Aon had the first catastrophe bond, a risk-bearing capital, and uh, it was developed by the St. Paul Reinsurance Company in the United Kingdom. Now, what you basically have are insurance companies that instead of going to reinsure companies, which are large national corporations, Lloyd's of London, for example, is one of those, they're now spreading the risk among individual investors for natural disasters, things like hurricanes, earthquakes, and other natural disasters. But see, here's the thing. 
pensions are investing in cat bonds. And you probably don't know that. And so some of your pensions, which are grossly underfunded, especially at the state level, the state of Illinois, New York, California, we go on and on. Some of these guys, in order to juice the returns, are taking a little bit extra risk. But bonds are safe, right? Bonds are safe. Oh, you can't lose money in a bond. And if it's, you know, I mean, it's not a municipal bond. It's, you know, it's municipal bonds are safe. It's not a corporate bond. Yeah, well, it's a cat bond. It's a catastrophe bond. So you dig into these things. These guys and gals better know what they're doing because they've only been around since 1992. It's not a lot of history. Now, we do have a history of how things are going, but well, you get some really nasty big earthquakes and you get some solar flares and, uh, you know, the, the oceans decide to have a couple of tsunamis and we got some real problem. Now, these things have lost some money. There's no doubt about it. Property damage losses as a result of uh, several recent events. You know, you got, you know, a couple million dollars here, a couple million dollars there. It really gets clobbered. Lloyd's of London, okay, Lloyd's of London. They've been around for a long time. They were created by uh, the Lloyd's Act of 1871. It actually was a uh, act of parliament and they partially mutualized the uh, marketplace and got a whole bunch of different financial backers and created syndicates. And I could go for hours on the pooling and the risk spreading and how the underwriter members and then you have the different names NAMES these are the that's the big that's the big deal you got members and names but um, you know they've been around on Tower Street since eight oh let's see 1686 I believe and um, they have this big thing called the room in the box and the slip and it's on Lime Street pretty cool place. Last year, 84 syndicates managed by 55 managing agencies wrote, I think it was almost $36 billion in gross premium. Uh, they have 303 approved brokers and uh, 50% of the premium comes right here from North America. So problem is, mm, Lloyd's even makes some mistakes. They've had a couple of years, for example, in 1989 through 1991, they had losses. I mean, they got clobbered with losses. And um, they had a combined loss of in, uh, 2001 of 140% of their cap ratio. But they've made some money. One of the things they're fighting right now is uh, all of the uh, buttercups and snowflakes who are going crazy calling Lloyd's murder insurance company because they underwrite the National Rifle Association and firearms policies and personal liability policies involving criminal and civil defense suits for NRA members. So the people are just losing their minds over that and they want to try to get Lloyds and give them the boot in the, in the United States. So the politics is really interesting. They've lost their mind over the stand your ground laws. And um, again, it's really the only way these gun <coughs> manufacturers and, and gun shows can get anything. They have to have insurance for their what they're doing. And of course, guess who is investigating them? Who would be investigating Lloyd's and wanting to take them to the cleaners? <laughs> the state of New York, the same people that have given apartment complex developers and everybody else, you've got to go green and you got to do it right away. Yeah, that's a, a story that seems to continue to keep going on. So the bottom line is, uh, no matter what we do, we're a forecasting company that is in the investment advisory industry as an investment advisor. We think in terms of bets. Making smarter decisions when you don't have all the facts is what Annie Duke said. You know, life is 
life is a poker game. It's not chess. Um, either quick or dead. Your brains are, are not built for rationality. The brains are built for emotions. But if you have SOBs like me and our team, where we tend to be very unemotional. Now, oh, sure, I have lots of fun with the podcast and I get kind of cool and crazy and do some things. But when it comes right down to it, we think in terms of hardcore bets. I'll give you the last thing here. State of Colorado. Yep, that's where the Colorado, <clears throat> excuse me, Colorado State University is located. And as weird as this sounds, those folks are really good at tropical weather forecasting. Now, pretty recently, they said, yep, 2019, not a big deal. But they have just upped the increase for hurricanes in 2019 in the Atlantic. Something fierce. So landfall probabilities went up dramatically. Why? Because we got an El Nino influence this year. What is your person doing talking to you about El Nino, about things like thinking in terms of bets, forecasting, and putting all of this together? Yeah. That's what I thought. This is Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing, where we do it better because it's simple and it works. Oh, stop talking. We're done.